Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, we're not dead yet. So we've got more Packers games to talk about, pregame, postgame, you know, optimism. A little yeah, optimism, uh, hopefully a little excitement. pessimism. You know what I thought when you uh, said we're not dead yet? I definitely thought, hush, boy, you want to get sued? Um <laughs> But anyway, we are here today. My shinning. (laughs) We are here today uh, to preview upcoming matchup, Packers versus Niners, a divisional round game. Here to, you know, moving on in the playoffs, uh, you know, won the game against the wild card. Now we're playing this another game where we're the heavy underdog against the Niners. You know, it's exciting. It's exciting that these young Packers are getting experience in the playoffs and you know, just before we step into really diving into this game against the Niners, I uh, just wanted to pitch a couple of things. First, if you like what you hear here today, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Packer. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, as well as when we like numbers that we find and stats that we find that we find interesting when we're researching for these podcasts, articles by other creators that we find interesting and et cetera, et cetera. News for the Packers in terms of like roster moves, injury reports, one-stop shopping for everything Titletown. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We even put all our episodes out on YouTube as well. And I just wanted to say, you know, even if this is, you know, that last game of the Packers season, just wanted to preface this, and we're do- doing our last pregame, we will still be doing a postgame for this game, and we will still be doing an episode every week during the offseason, talking about the draft, free agency, um, talking about how we felt like the season went, evaluating, you know, players and how their seasons were, thinking about their roles in the team next year. So no matter what happens this weekend... Tune into us next weekend and tune us tune us into us next week and tune into us, you know, every week following that because we'll be here every week, at least once a week, every single part of the offseason. We love the draft as well. It's probably our favorite time of the year. So we go really in depth on the draft. But yeah, don't turn that dial is all I wanted to say. Uh, but Dad, anything you wanted to say or should we move on to this game? Because I think we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I put this might be our longest, you know, a little peek behind the curtain. This might be our longest pregame doc we've ever had. Usually it's around seven to eight pages of notes. This one's like 11, I think, or 10 and a half. Oh, wow. So we've we'll got, see, we'll see how long it takes us to go through it. But yeah, you were, you uh, were putting a lot of overtime into the overtime section. I was doing the Ron Burgundy tongue twisters in preparation for this episode because I knew I'd have to say some numbers really quickly. You know, the ones I'm talking about where he's like red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Um, but anyway, uh, so dead. Uh, Unless you have anything to add, let's step into this game, get right to it. First, though, Dad, injury report. Let's start with the bad news. Uh, Both sides got a couple people dinged up. A lot of names on the list, but not a lot of players with designations, at least. Yeah, so there are a lot of players who were, you know, listed with injuries during practices. But when it came to game status, only a few per team. Both teams have players that are out officially. Edge rusher, Kingsley Anigbare. Is thought to have a torn ACL. It hasn't. I don't know if it's actually been confirmed, but he's it's not on IR yet, so he's got a de- um, a designation. He's out. And Cleveland Farrell, Farrell, Farrell. I think it's Farrell. Farrell. He sustained. So he got an injury in Week 18 against the Rams. You know, so they decided. Yeah, it sucks to play some, and then he got hurt. So, and they said at the time it was going to be a maybe a couple week injury. Um, so not surprising that he's also out. To, that both of them are out this week. Um, and then they each have a few questionable Packers, more players questionable than the um, Niners. For the Packers, there's Jair Alexander, who aggravated the ankle injury that he, you know, during the game against Dallas that he had going into the game, that he started with stepping on somebody's foot in a jog through. 
but he was limited on Tuesday and then shifted to a DNP the the last few days. And, but Joe Barry at one point this week said he was ahead of where he was last week and he was able to play last week. So we'll see if that holds up or whether, you know, they set him back a little bit as the week went on. We'll also see if it's just lying season. You know, it's yeah. also 100% possible that we are just blowing smoke out it's of like, our you-know-what. It's it's secondhand smoke because it's smoke that we're we're being fed and they were just spouting it back out again. And Dylan, who hasn't played in a couple weeks, he was improved to limit it anyway, so maybe there's a chance with his uh, stinger and thumb injury. Yeah, it's McDuffie, been the stinger. Who, for, for Dylan, it's really been the stinger that's kept him out. The thumb injury, I think if it was just the thumb, he'd be playing. But it seems like it's yeah, that it, stinger that's held him out. And it would be a big get to have him back because we talked about last week in that Cowboys game. Pretty much any time they were handing the ball to not Aaron Jones, it was not good. It was bad. So yeah, that having not at least, Aaron Jones guy. Yeah, having at least a competent, like Dylan's not a perfect running back, but he's like, he's solid. And having at least like a decent number two. He's definitely two, solid. Yes, he's built like a thick. brick house. <laughs> solid, yes. Um, but sorry, go ahead. Keep going. And then McDuffie, who left with kind of a nasty collision um, last week, says having a, a stinger or neck injury. Um, but he's moved up to limited, started practicing more as the week went on. We'll see what happens. And, and, which and I'd, I'd like to see him play, actually, and for McDuffie, some of the middle of the field. It's it's also really important because it seemed like last week he was the guy they wanted on early downs. And it, it seems like he's been maybe a better run defender than Campbell this year, I would say. And that's going to be doubly important versus the Niners. So if he could play, that'd be great. Yeah. It also seems – it sucks for him, man. It seems like every other week he's getting like some terrible neck or head injury. I, I, yeah, it's I don't just, know. I think because he just goes in like a madman. I'm not sure. It's definitely possible. He's got that special teamer to him. He's, he plays yeah. like he plays defense like he's a special teamer, which you know, fair enough. But yeah, yeah. And then uh, Whelan, the punter, it's limited on Thursday with an illness, but Lafleur said he expected him to play. And if not, they were really going all, all gas, no breaks. What's the point of punting anyway? You know, because they haven't, they haven't, they haven't uh, like signed anybody to the practice squad or anything. So. Yeah, I guess keep we're going. we're all in on going for it on fourth down every time if we have to. No, or we'll just never have a fourth down. That that could work too, you know. Although monkey's paw curls, we throw a pick on third down. I know. I guess that that, <laughs> that, that doesn't necessarily ways. mean it's going to go in your favor. Exactly. Right. Yes. The the monkey paw curls. Curse you, on that monkey one. paw. Anyway, moving on to the Niners side of the injury report. Who's questionable yeah, well, but, for that? But, yeah, and then so there's Dre Greenlaw, who has this Achilles tendonitis. He already skipped week 18 to give it a rest against the Rams, but he's still listed as questionable. But the Niners seem to be getting more healthy. Uh, McCaffrey is saying he's feeling great, better. I think he had, got a little dinged up at the end of the year. Yeah, he had a calf strain in week 17, I think, and so they held him out precautionarily week 18. And it, it seems like he's been practicing this week, so it doesn't seem yeah, like it's going to hold him back this week. Good. And they're adding more defenders as well. Uh, Eric Armstead is supposed to be coming back um, from the injury that he had. And also safety George Odom is expected to be activated off of uh, IR and play. And both of them have been practicing um, fully, well, at least uh, Armstead finished full, and Odom was was also both finished full for the week. So, look like they're adding more defenders to their, you know, such a talent poor team. Uh, that oh we'll yeah, talk they about, definitely right? don't have so many talented players. But anyway, since we're talking about it already, let's start talking about the rest of this game. Let's start with some quick facts about it. Um, game will be in Santa Clara, 5.15 p.m. local time. That's 7.15 Central for those of you in Wisconsin uh, on Fox. 
it might rain. It's really, the forecast has been really moving around a lot. Um, currently it's saying it's going to rain up and when, or when I put this doc together, it was saying it was going to rain up until kickoff and then stop raining. Then you were just saying that now it's supposed to rain during the game again. Um, so and, and, keep up. and last night the forecast was going to rain during the game. And then this morning the forecast, it wasn't and now the forecast is that it, again, it's going to rain during the game. So who knows? Yeah. So just keep your eye on that. Um, it's, it's up in the air still. Um, currently the over under is 50 and a half. Uh, with the Niners favored by nine and a half points per ESPN bet for an implied score of about 30 to 21 San Francisco. Um, so, you know, those are the quick facts. But, Dad, let's move, it up, move over to keeping up with the Joneses, and we're not talking about Aaron and Caleb. Uh, this is, you know, just what's going on with the Niners record-wise, story-wise. Um, they, you know, first in the NFC this year, uh, wrapped it up a little bit early, especially with some of the other NFC teams kind of falling off a little bit. Uh, they or getting whooped by the Niners. Yeah, you know, a little column A, a little column B. Uh, they were first in the NFC this year, won the NFC West, um, looking like a pretty tank of a team, honestly. They're pretty strong, and we're going to get into all of that. Here's some numbers for you. Um, some traditional stats first uh, per FTN Fantasy. We prefer to use per drive stats because it controls for pace of play. Uh, so these are per drive. Offense, they are first in yards per drive and first in points per drive. And then on defense, they are 18th in yards allowed per drive and 8th in points allowed per drive. Um, and then by DVOA, uh, which is also FTN Fantasy, which takes into account the strength of the opponent, on offense, they are first overall, and it is by a wide margin. The gap between them and second is as big as the gap between second and eighth. Uh, they are first in passing offense. Again, the gap between them and second is as big as the gap between second and ninth. Uh, and then they are second in rushing offense. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they are fourth overall in defense by DVOA, fourth against the pass, and 15th against the run. Uh, so pretty strong team. But, Dad, any thoughts on that, or should we get into uh, the meat, the uh, our different sections leading up to how we want to break this thing down? Yeah, I mean, pretty much um, traditional stats, new stats, ancient stats. They're looking the good. Niners are a good team. They're a good team. I mean, there's a reason that they only lost four games this year, I think it was. No, no, five they, games. They lost thirteen and they five. Lost five and five. They had three in a row, the Ravens, and then the Rams in the last. I, I was going to say it's because game. I didn't count the Rams one when they rested it's, their starters right. for reference. So a lot of the numbers we're going to be pulling are not including Week 18, uh, but we'll let you know when we don't. Um, but Dad, let's move on to our first section, which is Hey Now Play Nice. Not as difficult as maybe some other matchups because <laughs> dang, the Niners are pretty strong. You got you got to hand it to them; they're a pretty strong team. Yes, and so I didn't talk about too many different things. And I saw you had already hitched up to their wagon of an offense. But I was going to uh, talk a little about the defense. And I was focusing on the pass rush, though their coverage grades are also generally good. And they have um, an elite pass rusher in uh, Nick Bosa. But their pass rusher is like really good at generating pressure and beating the man across from them. So they finished ninth in sacks per SDN and third in pressures per PFF. Bosa is. He ended up with the ESPN's pass rush win rate being 19th in edge rushers, but he's also being double teamed at the third highest rate in that group. So he's still um, getting win rate despite being double teamed a lot. He's fourth in PFF's um, pass rush win percentage in true pass sets for edges, the least 100 rushes. And and then the other um, edge rusher who's going to be playing has been getting the step second half of the year. Chase Young is 36. So he's a little further down. But they're also getting good pass rush from their interior defensive line. 
um, with two defensive tackles in the top 18 amongst um, defensive tackles in PFF win percentage in Eric Armstead, who who is coming back to help them in the playoffs, and Javon Hargreave. Um, and they're also both in the top 10 by pass rush win rate per ESPN. So a couple different metrics. They're getting good pass rush up the middle, elite pass rush from one of the uh, – edges and still a decent pass rush from the other yeah i mean just looking at the people on that front you're looking at nick bosa defensive player of the year last year chase young who was like you know a top three pick like three or four years ago you got javon hargrave who they brought over from philly who has been like one of the better interior pass rushers over the last like three or four years and then eric armstead who seems to always kick our ass whenever we play it i feel like eric armstead just always whoops us up front um but yeah their defensive line is no joke they yeah it's, it's actually big... been the go ahead i was gonna say i feel like their defensive front has been the main reason why we've lost to them in the playoffs is our inability to handle their defensive front both to be able to run against and to slow down their pass rush yeah i mean shout out their defensive line coach uh Kosarek. uh he knows what he's doing because they have like re- they'll bring in a reclamation project every single year and just turn him into like a six sack guy who you know, with good efficiency. And it's just, it's very annoying. But yeah, their defensive line is very good. But what I wanted to talk about in terms of, hey, now play nice. And, you know, I got to hand it to them. Their offense is really good. Um, and I'm talking like historically good. Um, we mentioned, you know, we already talked about the gap between them and the second best offense and like how big that gap between the second and the next biggest is. We talked about the gap between them and the second best passing offense by DVOA. Here's some more numbers though. These are per RBSDM and NFL Fast R. They are on the season first in EPA per play, first in success rate. And you're like, oh, yeah, Tommy, if they're like that high in DVOA, of course they're going to be. All right, well, let me give you some more. If you break it down to pass versus run, they're first in EPA per dropback, first in EPA per rush, first in dropback success rate, first in rushing success rate. And I went back in the NFL Fast Star data. I, I, I went in and did all my queries. As far back as 1999, which is far back as the data goes, there has never been a team to lead the league in all four of those categories until this year. And that's like, that's EPA per dropback, EPA per rush, rushing success rate and dropback success rate. No team until this year has led the league in all four of those. We're talking historic levels. We're going even deeper. Brock Purdy led the league amongst all quarterbacks in EPA per play, success rate, completion percentage, completion percentage over expectation. So, you know, as an offense, they're like first in everything. Their quarterback is first in almost everything. And we're going to talk later about their, you know, pass catchers and running backs. You might have heard of a few of them, but they're like top five, top 10 in a ton of metrics too. So this offense, I mean, it is a handful and a half to deal with. So that's definitely something, you know, got to hand it to Kyle Shanahan, Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams. There's a reason all these guys are pro bowlers. Like they have had yeah. an incredible year. The 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 name and star power on the team is just ridiculous. It's it's very impressive. Um, but yeah, so that was hey now play nice. But Dad, let's move on to our next section, which is what we're nervous about. So things that you know the Niners are good at that specifically we feel like will be a difficult matchup for us. What did you have in this one? So maybe this is just the PTSD talking, but they're run blocking against our defensive front. It's true. Memories of uh, playoff games past and Raheem Mostert. But that's one of of the things I'm worried about. makes me anxious. So Green Bay on defense is only 20th in adjusted line yards by DVOA uh, per per FTNFantasy.com. And for those of you that don't know, adjusted line yards is kind of a measure of how far back or how much push 
the offensive line is getting on the defensive line or the defensive line is allowing. It's like how much the line of scrimmage is getting reset. Packers getting pushed back quite a bit. Yeah. And the way they measure is like they, they, the assumption is that the first, like, I think it's four yards of a run are the work of the offensive line in general. And so that's credited to the line yard as line yards. And then further downfield, more um, credited to the running back. So on defense, Green Bay is 20th in adjusted line yards, you know, against the run. While on offense, San Francisco's is second in the league in adjusted line yards. So there's a pretty big gap there in terms of uh, where the teams rank on opposite sides of the ball there. Um, this is also reflected in San Francisco's um, run blocking grade in, in, for PFF, where they lead the league compared to Green Bay's run D, which is 17th. The Niners also have two starters in the top 11 in run blocking per PFF in the league and another two in the top third of the league, while Green Bay only has two front five defenders, so D tackles and edge players that are in the top half of the league. And both the ones that are they're actually in the top half of the league in terms of run grade are two of their edge players, not uh, the interior D-line. So that doesn't exactly give me a warm, fuzzy feeling about how we're going to hold up in the run, though. And for them, better. for the Niners, it's not even just, you know, their run blocking is very good. They use deception really well in their run stuff, too. I, if I had to say one thing I wanted to tack on about nerves, like, I mean, we've seen before, you know, Rashawn Gary, great player. He'll get sucked in on a run fake. So I'm just, you oh. know, I'm thinking about little fake inside and then a pitch to Debo Samuel on a motion. Just because that thing's going to for... walk into the end zone on that before. I don't, I don't know what, what makes you think that could happen. I know, right? That thing's going but for 25 I, I yards. I feel like maybe, so we need to have good, you know, uh, pass rush discipline. Yeah, like which we've talked about the last is, few weeks. Yeah, I think it's better. Yeah, but I, mean, we, I, I think we hit rock bottom against the Giants in that regard. Yeah. And I think we've been trending a little upwards. You don't think that was I rock mean, bottom? It, it was bad, but I, I don't think necessarily we've been trending upwards, I guess. I, I feel like we've still struggled. Just because we've, just because we're still, you could say we're still not good or I, elite, I'd elite or even good. It's still, it's still an improvement over rock bottom. It's better than the Giants game, but I still wouldn't say like we've gotten better every week. Like I don't, I don't think we've just like gone up ah. from there. Is what I'm saying. I don't think we've like just started trending up. I, I've seen there's been a, issues with you know um, specifically. I'm thinking about the Ferguson touchdown. I don't think Gary is supposed to commit that hard inside there, and I, I think he's supposed to extend that play out. If I understand what his responsibility is there correctly. Um, but yeah, so and I could totally be wrong there. But I uh, that was just one example that popped to mind. I do think you know they're I still say, not. That the, was that the first Ferguson? The first touchdown? touchdown, yeah. And I still think you know we Gary specifically, great player. But I think he gets like a little over aggressive and chomping at the bit to crash inside at times. And I do think you know that is somewhere they are going to miss Enigbare because I feel like he was their best defender on rollouts, like play action boot rollouts. He was oh. their best defender in terms of playing the quarterback and then crashing down. Like we talked about, he got the Bears uh, two different times, you know, tackles behind the line where he was playing the the field's rollout and then crashed inside and, and ripped um, Khalil Herbert down in the backfield for a loss. So I think that's somewhere they're going to really miss Enigbare is on like little play action boot rollouts. For me though, uh, the part that I'm a little bit uh, nervous about is how on earth are we going to handle all the weapons that they have? Um, they're pass catchers. Uh, so this, these rankings are amongst all pass catchers with at least 34 targets during the regular season. Pick 34 because, you know, it's about two targets per game. Uh, this is per NFL Fast R. 
Amongst those wide receivers, Brandon Ayuk ranks third in the league in EPA per target, second in the league in yards per target. And for reference, per FTN Fantasy, the Packers are 26th by DVOA in defending against wide receiver ones. Not great. George Kittle is same, you know, same qualifiers, uh, fifth in the league in EPA per target. So they have two different players who are top five in EPA per target. He is fifth in the league in yards per target. So two different players who are top five in yards per target. And the Packers are 26th by DVOA against tight ends. So 26th and 26th, not a, not great places to be. Debo Samuel, he's 15th in the league in EPA per target and 12th in yards per target. Um, and specifically, I'm a little worried about the middle of the field. Green Bay is 27th by DVOA at defending that part of the f- field per FTN. Uh, and San Francisco averages 10 yards per target to the middle of the field uh, per NFL Fast Star, which is fourth in the NFL and is ninth in EPA per target to the middle of the field. So I'm a little worried about that. And then I haven't even talked about probably their best player on offense, which is Christian McCaffrey. Um, among running backs with at least 50 carries, he led the league in rushing yards with 1,459. It was not close. The gap between him at two or the gap between him at one and who was at two was the gap, same as the gap between two and 20 massive, massive lead in total rushing yards. And he averaged over five yards a carry, 5.36, which is third amongst running backs. He had 21 total touchdowns on the year, tied for first. He was sixth in EPA per carry. And then, you know, just to top it off, he also had 564 receiving yards, which was second amongst all running backs. And the Packers are 27th in DVOA against running backs as pass catchers. Uh, those numbers are per NFL Fast, RFTN Fantasy, and RBSDM. So their number one receiver is top, is, you know, top five in a lot of like efficiency metrics. And we're not good at defending number one wide receivers. Their tight end, top five in multiple efficiency metrics. And we're bad at defending tight ends. Debo Samuel is Debo Samuel. Christian McCaffrey is a threat no matter where they put him on the field. And I don't know if we have the linebackers to hang with him. And I don't, and I know we don't have the safeties to hang with him. So it's, it's going to be really tough for us. I just don't know. It feels like a game of whack-a-mole to me, where even if you took one of them out, I would consider that an accomplishment. Right. There's three more waiting. So I, and it's this tough. Is, this is a difficult lineup to double team anybody against. And, and that's a lot of what people talk about as like the, you know, oh, the pro of the Packers offense is like, you know, they don't have like a true number one. So like, you can't just take one guy away. It's like that, but four of them are pro bowlers. And for it's like they have four number ones. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, their weapons are just really good. Um, but yeah, so that's yeah. what I'm nervous about in this one. It's a, it's fair. It's fair to be nervous about how we're going to cover so many excellent uh, pass catchers and uh, players who yeah, and can you know get open cor- or do things with the ball in their hand. Yeah, and a quarterback who line up knows- all over. Mm-hmm. And a quarterback who knows how to get them the ball. I mean, Brock Purdy's playing really well this year. Um, but Dad, let's move on to the next section though, because it's not you know it's not all dark clouds. I think there are some places that the Packers can take advantage of the 49ers. Let's start with what you had. What did you have as an exploitable weakness of the Niners? So one thing that's in some ways is a little bit of uh, detracting from my first point about their strengths, but Love's ability to pass under pressure. So despite their high uh, Niners' high pressure numbers, which are third in the league, they have not been all that good in converting pressures to sacks this year. Um, they're only 26th in the league in sacks per pressure. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, talk to me. Talk to me. Give me more. So this is also, you can see, reflected in their DVOA adjusted sack rate, which is um, only kind of middle of the pack, only 17th, despite being like third in pressures by PFF. They're only 17th in adjusted sack rate. Um, so with that in mind, since we th- just thinking about, you know, maybe they're not actually converting those getting to the backfield to take getting the quarterback down. 
Since week 13, Love is third best in the league in preventing pressure, pressures from becoming sacks, um, according to PFF. It has the best passer rating when under pre- pressure of 117 since um, week, week 13. It has the, the best passer rating, the most touchdowns when pressured, and the second most first downs when pressured. And that's actually with not as many dropbacks. Series, it's actually first in um, first downs per pressure dropback. So if he's not actually taken down for a sack, he's been converting. And plus, since the, the Niners bye week, um, which was in week nine, just for reference, which so is week 10 actually, onward. Since, since week 10 on, they're only 15th in dropback success rate um, on defense. On defense. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's an opportunity here with the way Love's been playing under pressure um, to escape sacks and actually um, deliver the ball. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's going to be key to him for like, you know, the Packers are essentially going to have to have an A game from almost every position to win this game. Um, Because, you know, it's a very, it's done. I mean, it's a nine and a half point spread for a reason. A lot of people think that the Niners are going to roll in this one. For me, uh, the thing that I thought was an exploitable weakness is we talked a lot about, uh, you know, how their line is very good at run blocking. But, uh, you know, a decent amount of their line are below average to bad pass blockers. And so these stats are from PFF. Uh, with a minimum of 600 snaps on the season. So that's about half the snaps on the season. And just looking at the regular season. Obviously, Trent Williams is very good. We're going to you know leave him out of this one. Um, Colton McKivitz, their right tackle, has the eighth highest pressure rate allowed amongst tackles on the season, amongst 59 qualifying tackles. Spencer Burford, their right guard, has the fourth highest pressure rate allowed amongst guards, uh, amongst 59 qualifying guards. Aaron Banks, their left guard, he's a little bit better. But he's still the 28th highest pressure rate allowed amongst guards, once again, amongst 59. So, you know, he's their better one. He's middle of the pack. Uh, and then their center, Jake Brendel, has the sixth highest pressure rate allowed amongst centers, amongst 32 qualifying centers. So three of their starting line from center to right guard to right tackle are all really poor pass protectors. And then their left guard is just slightly below average. Trent Williams, elite, very good. Probably the best left tackle in the league. But those other guys you can get after in the passing game, and I think the Packers are going to need to if they want to win this game. But that is my like exploitable weakness of the Niners and somewhere that I think that they can, you know, the Packers defensive line is going to have to have a great game, but I, I think that's somewhere they can get after the 49ers. Um, should we move on to our next section, or do you have anything you wanted to add on to that? No, we can move on. I have maybe some other notes that will be related to that later and things we want to think about more, but let's let's move on. Okay. Well, let's move on to how we hope the Packers approach this game specifically. Dad, what do you want the Packers to do in this matchup? So I searched for a little while to figure out what was something that we should try to target. And so I looked through like DVOA to see, are they weak against any particular um, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, tight end, running back? Nah, good against all those. Any part of the field they're particularly weak against? No. Left, center, right, deep, short, middle. Nope. But one thing I did find out, um, so I think what I'd like the Packers do is target the slot. So, and I think maybe actually line up multiple slot slot options using wide receivers and or tight ends, either on opposite sides or in bunch formations, and target their two main slot corners rather than their safety um, Gibson. So, Lenore. Lenore, um, and Oliver yep, Lenore. are currently um, 92nd and 66th in yards per snap in the slot. 
amongst um, any all defensive backs who have at least 50 slot snaps. In contrast to Gibson, who is like second best in the league. So I think there is a potential exploitable weakness when you have their slot corners, either one of those guys um, covering somebody in the slot. Yeah, it could be a big Jaden Reed game. I think they're going to need yeah. a big game from him after, you know, he had a pretty quiet game last week, but, you know, the matchup just didn't necessarily need him to have a massive game, but, you know, need him to have not necessarily a bounce back game because I wouldn't say he played bad, um, but they're going to need a big game from him. For me, yeah, it, or it did could you have be something the, you to add there? Targeting, well, targeting multiple different receivers or tight ends or even Jones lined up in the slot. Mm-hmm. The tight ends is interesting because I wonder if they just wouldn't bother putting a slot corner on them. I think they would probably just put Fred Warner or Dre Greenlaw on them. And I wouldn't say that's, I wouldn't say they would lose that matchup. Like, I, I think those are, that's a tough cover, set of cover linebackers yeah. to go against there. But I'm also thinking that they might be going with a lot of two uh, tight end sets. Well, I, see, I don't know if that's a good, I, I don't think that's a good idea. If I don't think the Packers should go in two tight end sets much at all in this game. Because you want to force them to play in nickel and dime. You don't want to yep. let them play in base. They're, that's a dominant base defense. You can't just let them trot Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner out there for 60 so snaps. You might want to get, get one of those guys off the field. Yeah. It, it, that's why I don't think it's going to be a big Musgrave and Kraft game. Like, I think they'll have one in, but you, you can't just let them have both their linebackers out there. You've you got to try and get them to make a mistake and pull one of those guys off and play one of these like lesser, you know, decent players, but not like all pro level linebackers. You, you got to have them take these guys off the field. Uh, and then, you know, at, if you get them off the field, maybe you can run a little bit too. But I think playing heavy into them plays into their strengths. And so I don't really want to see that. For me though, you know, besides that, in terms of how I want the Packers to approach this game, you know, not as much heavy personnel as they did against the Cowboys. Cowboys, it made sense. Cowboys have tiny linebackers. They're playing a 205 pound linebacker. Heavy personnel is the way to go there. It's not, I don't think it's going to work against the Niners. But what I wanted to do was I think they need to commit to the run regardless of the score. Now, you might remember when I was reading off a bunch of numbers. You might not. You might have fallen asleep. I don't blame you. It's okay. I find the numbers interesting, but the main point is to get you know the most out of it. But what I was saying when I was talking about their defense, just to rewind to by DVOA, fourth overall in defense, fourth against the pass, 15th against the run. And we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to do a little more deep dive into that run defense and you know trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, but that's essentially the only place by the numbers that the Packers really have much of an advantage. Since week 16, when Aaron Jones started getting, you know, 20 carries a game, that's the Panthers game through this Cowboys game, the Packers ranked second in the league in EPA per rush and fourth in rushing success rate. Over that same time span, so week 16 to week 18, the Niners ranked 18th in EPA per carry allowed and 25th in rushing success rate allowed. Almost everywhere else, the Niners have a statistical advantage. This is like the one place that the Packers have an advantage. And I feel like the Packers' best games are when they're able to establish the run and stick with it and stay ahead of the sticks and then build off of that run game. And I think, you know, every other year, I remember looking at the Niners' numbers and being like, dang, that run defense is really tough. This year, you know, I think we're, I'm going to talk about it in more detail later during overtime, but this is the first time I've looked and been like, oh, that's kind of surprising. Those numbers aren't as good as I would expect, you know, with like how the Niners have played like every single time we've played them before. But so, yeah, I think they just got to commit to the run because it's, you know, by the numbers, the only place they have an advantage. And I think they just got to stick with it. But dad, let's move on to our next section, which is don't take your eye off that guy. These are players that we think will either be standouts or that need to be standouts for their team to have a good day. Who do you got? 
Right. So I'm more in the latter. And the player I'll be going to keep an eye on is Rashawn Gary, mm-hmm. who, you know, he's been in a bit of a slump. He hasn't had a sack since week 13 against Kansas City, which is right after he had that dominant game against Detroit. Yeah, and he and has, think, you know, he has a good matchup against this one in Colton McKivitz, not a very good, like, pass-protecting right tackle like we talked about. But he had a good matchup last week against Terrence Steele, too. And, you know, generally the Packers struggle to get pressure on Dak. Yeah, and so I think the Packers really need to get home without sending a lot of extra pass rushers. So looking at Purdy, you know, he's, his passer rating is great. It is like, when you blitz... He's got the best passer rating in the league. And his passer rating actually improves when blitzed versus when not blitzed. It's, it, does, it's, it doesn't have the, the greatest improvement. I think Kyler Murray actually has the greatest improvement when blitzed versus not blitzed. However, he's only 25th best at the league at maintaining his passer rating when pressured versus not pressured. By that, what I mean is he has a 35-point drop in passer rating grade when he's pressured versus when he's not. It drops from a, you know, unreal 125 um, when he's not pressured down to 90 when he's pressured. So Yeah, and that 90 is still near the top of the league in terms of, like, passer ratings when pressured, but you, you got to get pressure It's a lot different than 125. Because you cannot it's, live in a world where he's got a 125 passer rating on you. You just can't right. live there. Right, so it's it. this is a case where it doesn't necessarily make sense to add, like, blitzes and extra resources, but you need to get pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why Gary is so important. Like they need him to dominate that matchup with the right tackle. And the, the, the issue is probably they're going to chip a lot. And Kittle's a really good blocker in his own right. So that's going to be tough, which is why for me, the player that I picked was Kenny Clark. Very similar idea to what you had in terms of they need to pressure Purdy because if they don't, they're going to get shredded. Um, but the weakest part of their line is at center and right guard. And Kenny has to dominate that matchup for Green Bay to have a chance because we've seen the defensive line comes and goes as Kenny goes. And when he's playing great, the defensive line can dominate. When he's not, it's a struggle for everyone up front, for everyone up front. And so I just want him to, you know, line up over the center and just kick that guy's ass over and over and over again until they have to double you and then open some stuff up for some other guys because they need Kenny to dominate. They need Rashawn Gary to dominate for them to, you know, stay alive in this game. Yeah, they can't be sitting back and, and giving him all time in the pocket. They've got, when Kenny comes up the middle, then it prevents the quarterback from stepping up, can close any escape routes, and push him back to where the edge rushers are coming around and and can clean him up. Yeah, and I guess we'll move on to our next section, which is, you know, overtime. Some things that maybe we hadn't gotten a chance to discuss yet. I'm going to go first, though, because you were just talking about Brock Purdy under pressure. And I just wanted to throw some more stats, some more Purdy stats, because we hadn't gotten a chance to talk about him too uh, too much yet, other than the fact that, you know, he's leading the league in several metrics. Um, but some other interesting stats per PFF. He has the sixth best pressure to sack rate. These are just in the regular season. He has the sixth best pressure to sack rate, another indication that he is handling pressure quite well. Um, this actually might be due to the fact that he's a little more athletic than I think either of us realized. Per his RAS card that uh, MathBomb put out on Twitter, uh, his 10-yard split in the 40 is in the 90th percentile for quarterbacks. Uh, his top speed isn't great because like his actual 40-yard dash is you know pretty average, but that 10-yard split is really elite. So you know he's able to accelerate really well in tight spaces, and that's probably part of the reason his pressure to sack rate is quite good. It's actually just a touch above Love's in the regular season. 
However, he has a surprisingly high turnover-worthy play rate. It's the 10th highest in the league in the regular season, tied with Justin Fields. Uh, for him, though, it's interesting. They tend to come in bunches. Um, nine of his 18 turnover-worthy plays occurred during a three-game stretch um, against Cleveland, Minnesota, and Cincinnati. And then he only has four over the last eight weeks. So, so I think he's due for another bunch. I mean, why not? You know, I'd, I'd hope so. Uh, but yeah, so that was like, you know, his turnover replay rate wasn't great. And then I looked game by game. And it's like, okay, but really over the last eight weeks, it's really been, hasn't been much. And mo- almost all of those came in just a few games there. Um, but yeah, so that was something that I found interesting. Dad, anything you wanted to add in overtime? Okay, I'll jump to my overtime. Uh, yeah, so one thing I just wanted to talk about, we didn't specifically mention about their pass catchers is the Niners yards after catch kind of versus the the Packers linebackers safeties. It's going to be critical to tackle right after the catch, yeah. right after the catch. So Debo Samuel leads all wide receivers in yards after catch per reception. He's the big one still to me. I agree, but Debo's the, the one where it's like he could yeah, take well, number a ball one from the, the yeah, he could take a ball from the 20 to the end zone, like his own 20 to the end zone and break three tackles. It could be a screen. He could take an 80-yard yeah. screen anytime. They need to rally yeah. and tackle, need to have three guys tackling at all times. They're not going to win 1v1 tackling attempts. They're just not going to. No. It'll be a repeat of the uh, um, playoff game a couple of years ago with, if, with Debo with the ball late in the game. Yeah. And then Kittle, he's third amongst tight ends, or tied for third, in, I think, in yards after catch per reception in the league. And you know, and then, of course, McCaffrey is only second in the league in running back receiving yards as well. Yeah, so that's all. It's going to be really, we're going to really be buttoned up on rallying to the ball and making tackles quickly um, mm, and that's... not give up a bunch of, and, and I think that's part of the engine that makes their offense so good is how much they're able to move the ball after the catch. That's why I almost picked, you know, Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell and um, Isaiah McDuffie as my players that need to have great games. I was like, I was this close to picking them because we talked about before, you know, when we were talking about the pass catchers, that they love attacking the middle of the field and we're not very good in the middle field. It's that. It's covering the middle field. It's tackling the running back and not letting McCaffrey go for these like extra 10, 15 yards and just leaping over people. It's getting Debo and Ayuk and Kittle on these crossers to the ground and not letting them break off another 40 yards afterwards. It's all these things. And a lot of them, like it's not just the linebackers, but a big brunt of that is going to be on that linebacker trio. Yeah. I I also almost put um, Quay in for that reason into my uh, player to watch section. Because I think it's going to be be a lot of responsibility on him. Because sometimes he'll be the only linebacker out there. And there'll Mm -hmm. be a lot of uh, pressure on him to bring guys down. And our corners, they they have to they have to tackle surely. Yeah, I mean, surely surely they have to tackle. <laughs> yes, yes, they um, have to tackle, and, and don't call me Shirley. And don't call me Shirley. Uh, I have a few more things in overtime though that I'm going to spiel on really quick. Um, I so see I you said have quite a long. Yes, two th- I have two long bits I want to talk about. So apologies, listeners, you're gonna have to listen to my voice for a little while. The first is we talked before that we wanted to do, I was going to go into more detail on the Niners run defense. So I'm going to do that now because, you know, I'm not really sure what to make of it uh, because if it is bad, if it is as bad as the numbers say, I think the Packers, you know, I think that holds the key to like the Packers finding success in this game. If they can 
capitalize on this run defense. And if this run defense actually is as poor as it says, because, you know, we talked during the Cowboys game coming into it. It's like, oh, you know, Cowboys not good against the run. And that was something that was well known. It's like Cowboys bad against the run. That's somewhere that, and, you know, Aaron Jones had a success against the Cowboys in the past. And, you know, that was something where we talked about, it was like, if the Packers are going to win, they're going to need a big game from Aaron Jones. And so, you know, looking at these numbers, I was really surprised to see these numbers from the Niners because we all kind of knew going into that Cowboys game, you know, Cowboys not as good defending the run. But the Niners on the season per RBSDM are 26th in EPA per rush. That's worse than the Packers. Packers are 22nd. And they're 24th in rushing success rate. And so I looked at that and I was like, wow, like, are they really that poor against the run this year? And so, you know, I went a little deeper. I was like, okay, you know, I was looking around, reading some articles and a lot of people were like, hey, you know, their defense as a whole got a lot better after their bye week in week nine. Um, Some people talk about, you know, Steve Wilkes going to the sideline and not being up in the booth anymore and that, you know, being, you know, an impetus for perhaps, you know, some improvement. So I was like, okay, what if we just went, you know, from week 10 uh, onward? And so I was like, okay, you know, on that spine, they're a little bit better, you know, 21st in EPA per rush now and 21st in rushing success rate. Well, still bad, still bottom third, still not good. And I was like, you know, okay, you know, weeks 10 to onward, they're in a lot of blowouts in that time. You know, maybe the other team is running it really well on them when, you know, they're not even trying to defend the run. So I was like, okay, let's take just win probability between 10 and 90%. You know, that'll, that'll take out, you know, maybe some of these like random running back draws where it's like, okay, whatever, you want to run the clock, you run the clock. Uh, taking that out, still 20th in EPA per rush and 15th in rushing success rate. So still better but still average to below average. And I was like, okay, you know, I mean, for a lot of those games, they didn't have Eric Armstead, you know, one of their better run defenders. We talked about he had been missing since week 13. So I was like, okay, let's check weeks 10 to 13. And he's going to be back this game. Let's check weeks 10 to 13 between 10 and 90% win probability. And in those, in that time, they're 14th in EPA per rush and eighth in rushing success rate. That's a really small sample size though. So let's look at the teams they played in that span. Uh, and these opponent stats are, you know, stats over the course of the whole season. Week 10, they played Jacksonville. They were 30th in EPA per rush on the season, 31st in rushing success rate. The next week, they played Tampa, 27th in EPA per rush, 32nd in rushing success rate. The next week, they played Seattle, 14th in EPA per rush and 15th in rushing success rate. And the week after, they played Philly, 4th in EPA per rush and 4th in rushing success rate. But we know how Philly kind of, you know, fell apart a little bit down the stretch. But essentially, if you give them every benefit of the doubt, you cut off win probability, you cut off games where some of their best players, best run defenders didn't play. You only look after the bye and you only look over that four week span. They're holding an offense, you know, over those four games that would be not like if you averaged out those four teams, 19th by EPA per rush and 21st by rushing success rate to, you know, an offense that'd be 19th in EPA per rush and 25th in rushing success rate. I, I mean, even giving them all the benefit of the doubt, it's still not a great run defense. It's like still about an average run defense. And, you know, maybe they're getting better. Maybe they're moving in the right direction recently. Well, three of their last four opponents had a rushing success rate over 45%, which would be top five on the year. So I just thought, you know, do a deep dive into it. You know, look at all the windows that, you know, maybe, you know, if we twist it this way and turn these knobs and turn these dials, the run defense isn't that good. And so I think that that is an avenue. Or it's It's not... It's not like how we remember their run defense being where it's like, man, we cannot get this thing through the freaking line of scrimmage on these guys. And who knows? Maybe it will be on on Saturday night. Maybe. But you, yeah, maybe maybe know. it'll be that way. Maybe Eric Armstead will make that big a difference. But I do remember, you know, in terms of like 
we'll just reference fantasy football here. You know, you would wouldn't want to start running backs against the Niners, and that was I think maybe true at the very beginning of the year. But then they went through went through a stretch after that where it was you know they were not a daunting run defense. Yeah, and so that was something where it's like that that is where I'm hyper focused because if the Packers can successfully run the ball with Aaron Jones, I think that they can have success on offense. And if they can sustain drives and limit this to a game where there's only like seven, eight drives each, the margin of error, like like in a game where you're the heavy underdog, you want as few possessions as possible because then the ball bounce, like a couple bounces the ball your way are way more impactful when it's like an eight to seven drive a team game as opposed to a 13 drive per team game. You just got to get a couple bounces the ball your way. If you reduce the overall number of possessions and hence the, the ceiling for the score, then randomness only needs to affect like one score. Yeah. To potentially make the difference. So I, I think, you know, that's something I'm really focusing on because I think that was a big reason the Packers were able to have success against the Cowboys was that run defense of theirs being kind of suspect. And the Niners run defense, it's not as bad as the Cowboys, but it's not as good as I think their reputation would have you think. Um, you get other... me, you get me optimistic here. I'm just saying. Um, and then some but other it things. Also, the, I just want to comment on like the whole being able to run successfully is it, what it does, it keeps the whole playbook open on second and third down. If you stay on schedule with the run. And so you can't have their, their pass rushers just, you know, pinning their ears Tee back off and on te- you. teeing yeah. off. You, yeah, I don't think they can live in a world like that. And to be honest, against the Cowboys uh, early in the game, it was like, man, we're having to convert quite a few like third and longs here. I did have a few more overtime things, if unless you wanted to add anything more on that. No, that's the main thing about it, the how being able to run the ball with success changes the entire complexion of the way the game is um, run and the offensive uh, scheme and play calling. Yeah. The other things I wanted to touch on, um, kicker BS. Uh, both of us who have, uh, you know, both of these teams have rookie kickers. You know, that they drafted. We drafted Anders Carlson. They drafted Jake Moody. Um, Moody is coming off, you know, this is two weeks ago, but a game where he missed a 38-yarder and an extra point. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, and then something else that I'm keeping an eye on is this idea of double bye weeks. A lot of people were talking about, you know, because the Niners essentially rested most of their starters in week 18. Uh, because they already had the one seed locked up and then they had a bye week because they were the one seed and now they're playing this week. So, you know, two weeks off and some people are like, oh, like, like t- taking a double bye week, you know, can make you rusty. And then other people are like, well, you have to take the double bye because it, it gets you healthy. And so I was just looking over the last 10 years about teams that took that last week off or teams that were the one seed and took that last week off and had a double bye and teams that didn't. And I'm counting took the last week off as teams that played their starting quarterback less than 50% of snaps in that final week. Um, so going back, you know, um, I just kind of went over essentially the last 21 seeds um, from each conference. And so of those, um, eight of them rested their starters in the last week. 12 of them did not. Of the eight who rested their starters, three of them lost in the divisional. Of the 12 who didn't, only one lost in the divisional. So something to keep an eye on. And so of the four one seeds who lost in the divisional the last 10 years, three had a quote unquote double buy. So something I'm keeping my eye on, you know, it's, it's, it's too small a sample size to, you know, really get anything definitive out of it. But, you know, it is interesting that, you know, 
it, it seems at least on that small of a sample size, you're more likely to lose in the divisional if you took the double buy than if you didn't. So just something I'm keeping my eye on there because, you know, and just the, the FYI, Niners, the Niners. Yeah, rested their stars. The double buy and, 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 and lost the last and, week of the season, which the Packers have done. I was going to say the Packers well. in 2021. Uh, took the double bye and lost in the divisional to the Niners. They're one of those three teams. Um, some of the other ones are Baltimore in 2019. Uh, they took a double bye and lost in the divisional to the Titans. Uh, and then the other is Dallas in 2016. They took the double bye and then lost to us in the divisional. So, you know, just, you know, some Green Bay history in there as well. Just something to, to keep an eye on. Um, but, Dad, let's move on here and let's start wrapping things up. Bottom line, the 49ers win if blank. I think if the Green Bay offense can't like keep going at the, the high efficiency rate it's been going recently and get derailed by the the Niners pass rush or something else, I think it's going to be a, a really long day because I, I think it's likely that the San Francisco offense keeps rolling. Yeah, I agree. I had the 49ers win if Green Bay can't consistently and successfully run the football. So that's either if they get played out of script and they can't, they like just, can't they're down too much and can't run the football or if they you know just get stuffed at the line a bunch and have to pass because i think in either of those scenarios they can't fall behind if they fall behind they're cooked so they need to stay in a positive game script and then when they're in a positive game script they got to be able to run the football um but dad packers win if blank so i have it's kind of an obvious one they they win the turnover battle battle like they did against dallas the niners when they win the turnover battle they're 10 and 1 but when they lose the turnover battle, they're 0 and 3. <laughs> and then there are a couple of games in there where it was um, a tie, neutral. It was a wash. Yeah. For me, I, I said the Packers win if they win the turnover battle by multiple turnovers. I think they got to win it by two, like they did against Dallas. Uh, I think that's what they got to do. I think the Niners are a tier ahead of the Cowboys, maybe two tiers above the Cowboys. Like that's Some how much more. They played each other. I know, right? That's how much more difficult a matchup this is than last week, I think. Um, and I think if the, you know, Packers play their a game and then catch a couple of breaks, it's doable, but it's going to be really tough. Dad score prediction. What do you got? So I think the, the, the odds are not forever in the Packers favor of this game and the odds makers clearly. Yeah. Nine um, and a half, nine and a half is a big spread. It is the biggest spread of the playoffs so far, I believe. Uh, so I have I have the the Niners um, winning thirty four Packers making a run keep it keep it interesting um, scoring twenty seven. Okay, I have I have something similar, but you know a, a little lower scoring. I got San Francisco thirty three, Green Bay twenty four, and Green Bay covers by you know just a little bit. But I uh, yeah, Niners are a really tough team. They're really good. They're the one seed for a reason. They've stomped almost everyone this year. But you never know. Uh, you know um, sometimes a team that doesn't know what it doesn't know, as they would say, or a team that, you know, is nothing to prove, nothing to lose can be a little dangerous. So let's at least go out there and make them sweat. But anyway, thank you so much for listening to this breakdown, uh, leading you up to this Packers Niners game. Um, appreciate you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, come give us a follow on Twitter at father, son, Packer. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, uh, stats that we find when we're researching for these episodes, articles we find interesting and videos we find interesting from other Packers content creators, pieces of Packers news like roster moves and injury reports. One-stop shopping for everything Title Town. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We can put all our episodes out on YouTube. And if this ends up being the last week for the Packers season, we're still going to be doing episodes going forward throughout the whole offseason, one episode a week. 
talking about the draft. We love the draft. We go super deep into the draft. It's probably our favorite time of the year. Talking about free agency, talking about coaches, talking about how the season went, talking about leading up to the season, training camp, OTAs, mini camp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll still be doing one a week, so don't turn that dial. But anyway, thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.